what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Joining me today is Lonely Adventurer of the Camping with Owlbears podcast Although we know him as Lonely Adventurer But anybody that's backed his very successful Kickstarter Glaive well, no, his real name is Scott. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm good, Jason. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Doing great. Thank you for coming on the show. I Yeah. Well, so, it was an easy commute through Zoom, so no problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's one advantage of, of everybody being more used to the video conferencing and working from home kind of thing. It's yeah. more set up for these things. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can, I mean, no one else will be able to see this, but last time we talked, I was still in my studio, but now you can see I'm kind of just standing in my living room now, my new office, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yep. So, so Glaive was, you know, it, you, it was part of Zine Quest 2, mm-hmm. and it, like I said, it was very successful, you, you delivered it, I, you know, we've got the physical copy, and now it's finally out there for people who didn't back it, they can purchase it over on itch.io. Yeah. Yeah, I'm psyched. It's it's finally uh, it's finally out in the wild uh, for all to consume. <laughs> Definitely. Now, the so one thing they're going to see when they go to itch is they're going to see all these atomic robo products and different things. You want because it's actually it's Tesladyne. Is am I saying that right? I, I yeah, you're it. saying it right. Yeah, Tesladyne.itch.io. Yeah, Tesladyne's actually uh, my company, and my day job is illustrating comics mostly atomic robo mm-hmm. which is you know it's on my itch because i i partially own the ip but um awesome yeah but yeah Tom, RPG, atomic robo has been or i'm sorry go ahead no i was gonna say rpgs rpgs are kind of where i find my fun outside of work not that work isn't fun either but it's uh yeah the last thing you want to do after drawing comics all day long is read and draw more comics <laughs> so right right yeah, I, I've been a big Atomic Robo fan for years. Oh, cool. I didn't honestly. even know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess wild. we've never talked about it. But no, yeah, we, we, no. when I always think Atomic Robo, I think, and I don't remember his name now, but the um, who's the, the other? The, oh, Brian Clevenger, the writer. Yes. Yeah, 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 Brian. Origi- yeah, originally of uh, 8-Bit Theater fame, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, because I've heard interviews with him and all before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, very, very cool, very cool. Yeah. So, so and and actually, let's use that as a as a segue here because we're mainly going to talk about Glaive. That was that was the intent. And, sure, sure. And, and the art in Glaive is is that almost like that perfect balance, right? Because with a zine, you don't want to overpower it with art, but yeah. you want to have it, you know, peppered in there. And, and I and I think you've done a really good job with that. With, Thanks. What was that a challenge deciding how much art to actually include in there? Um. A little bit. I have a tendency to go overboard 
and I have a bunch of aborted covers that I started for today, which were just way too much. Um, so yeah, I started treating it more like a sketchbook, kind of like I do my notes. Well, I used to do my notes when, when I was playing RPGs where there'd always be all doodles in the margins and, you know, uh, like a, a well marked up character sheet. So yeah, once I got myself in the right headspace and then we actually decided to kind of leave in the, the sketchy bits of it. So, you know, you get a little sense of the, the mess underneath the finished, uh, well, the finished sketches and whatnot. But yeah, um, I had to hold back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, well, yeah, cause there's a lot of content in there. I mean, well, one thing with, I'd have to go back and look, but I think once you actually get in the rules, I don't think you have any full pages of like, like full page art, you know? No, no, it's all just little spot illustrations. Right. Yeah. There, there are a couple, you know, full page, you know, the very beginning, the very back. Right. Right. Yeah. But there's no filler art really in here. It's all, or is, no. you know, as far as like, you know, some games will have big two page spreads and, and you can almost tell, you, you know, the big two page spreads and then they have, you, you know, they're, they're definitely trying to eat up space or, or you don't <laughs> right. do that. You know? Right. If, if anything, you did, did you find 36 pages where, cause it ends up being a 36 page scene. Did you find that restrictive as far as fitting in what you wanted to? Um, no, because I'd actually, the, the document of Glaive existed before the idea of doing it as a zine quest ever came around. So there was no uh, constraints going into it. It was, it, it really is just my, it's just my house rules that I started mm -hmm. working on about a year ago. And then I think a couple of days before zine quest uh, began, uh, Zach Beer, who did our, our layout and the editing on it, um, he's just a local friend of mine. We played RPGs together. Um, he told me about Zine Quest and was like, "We got." He was very excited to do this, and I was thinking, "Oh no, you're going to turn my other hobby into work." <laughs> but, <laughs> but his uh, his enthusiasm was overpowering, so uh, I, I caved in. But he he had actually already made um, Zine forms of the original, the first draft of the rules, just for me to have around the table when we were playing. Um, so it was kind of, with the exception of the artwork and a few things we added uh, once the Kickstarter started, it was already kind of just done. It was just a living document. I mean, it still is. I, you know, I sent out an updated PDF just well, a week or two ago. Because mm -hmm. um, as I'm still changing my house rules, they're, they're still, the Glaive is still forever upgrade, updating, I suppose. Right, so, so I guess that's an interesting, so that brings up a question. So were there any, well, well actually, let, let's put it, let me come back to that because I do have a question about the, the living document part of it. Mm -hmm. But before I do that, let, let's talk Kickstarter just for a minute. Sure. I know when Zine Quest 2 came out and some of the communities like the discords that, that were on together and, you know, there's a lot of talk and people weren't sure, do they want to participate or, they, or did they not and those kind of things. And, and so you had a big advantage here because you pretty much had a, a, a finished product or, or at least a rough draft of a product right well I, two advantages to be honest with you because uh, without getting into specifics of contracts and things like that i work with a manager and technically this is me putting more creative work out into the world now officially so that kind of falls under my working relationship uh, and so it became a work project that's why it's on the tesla dime itch page is not my own um so, but he uh, is kind of a, uh, uh, a Kickstarter genius. And so I just pass all the files off. Uh, this was the first time, normally when we do the Atomic Robo Kickstarters, uh, my partner, Brian, 
um, has to, it's his responsibility to deal with all the kind of day-to-day -day maintenance on that just because the writing part tends to be faster than the art part. So I'm usually mm -hmm. just head down on a drafting table somewhere uh, while those two are off uh, doing the kind of day-to-day -day number crunching and whatnot. So, so this was the first time I ever actually, despite I think the fact that we're five or six Kickstarters in, maybe even more mm -hmm. than that, this is the first time I personally had to interact with it, but uh, but I had a chaperone essentially to keep me from screwing myself up. Uh, <laughs> right. So so with the with the um, I don't want to word this. So with Kickstarter, and, and I appreciate here you had your your chaperone, right? You, you had you had a bunch of assistants and on there. What are your thoughts though for people if they want to get involved in something like this? How much how much of the product do you think is smart to have finished before they they jump in? Well, if we're talking specifically like about a zine quest style mm -hmm. project, I think as long as you are realistic with your delivery date, and then a good way to be realistic with that is to take a guess at how long it's going to take you to make something and then double that uh, because stuff always goes wrong. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a Kickstarter actually deliver 100% on time. There's always some you know book a book held up in customs or some product thing we're waiting for a slot in the production line. Um, but zines are pretty easy to throw together quickly, at least on the production end. Um, I think, but I think most people on Kickstarter, as long as you say, hey, it's going to take me a year to do this, if they know that going in, they're usually pretty accommodating. But for me personally, I like to have as much done as possible. I think the only thing that wasn't done when we hopped into this, it was, it was the art assets, basically, mm -hmm. uh, the, little, the character cards and the... Uh, the cover and the and whatnot but uh, we did change a lot of layout stuff and uh you know some fonts and whatnot but the basic framework of the document was already finished and I, for me that's my that's where i'm comfortable because even with that gene quest wrapped up then right around the covid quarantine kicking in and then that closed down the printer that was making the zines for us uh it had me locked out of my studio for a little while so my workflow got really messed up so it took me a little longer than i wanted to to get the character cards done. Um, so you always, you always got to factor in, it's better to have as much done up front because the less you have done going in, the more that is going to go wrong and cause delays as you're waiting to hit your, uh, hit your production goals, yeah. Sure, yeah, and, and you had a big advantage too because since you're providing the art, the art, art's in-house, you weren't relying yes. on somebody else to provide that. Right, right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I, I guess let's get, let's, let's talk about the, the living document part of it. And then we can talk about Glaive itself a little bit. Um, sure. Did, did you have any reservations about the idea of putting out the, the updates and so you, you sent out the physical zine, which let's be yeah. honest, is totally playable the way you delivered it. it it's not, you, sure, you're not it's putting not out a rata like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like some Kickstarters where they send them out, they're missing, you know, they're whatever, like missing tables or this or that. That wasn't the case here. These right. are just little rules tweaks that, that you found through play through further play, right? Yeah, I, I don't foresee myself making any. I, all, I think all the major changes I've ever going to make to it have been made already. But from here forward, this is kind of fine tuning, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the only thing really in the, in the update was changing some wording on when uh, talents or uh, might trigger or how much uh, 
damage I think like uh, magical attacks do. Right. Like it was, you know, I mean, we we can talk specifically about those rules, but it was not a huge, like you said, not a huge tweak to anything. No, I, a, in fact, I think the update you sent out said it accurately stated you could put all the updates on a three by five sticky note and yeah, and just put a post on the back of your zine, yeah, and you're good to go. Yeah, right, exactly. So very good. So so I think it's inter one thing I think is interesting about Glaive is that, and, and I think is smart is that you did go for the toolkit approach. And I think that's important. Yeah. So this isn't, this, Lave expects somebody to already have a knowledge of the, the genre. And, and the so, tropes yeah. that go with the trauma, or excuse, the tropes that go with the genre. And then yeah. also have a, a rule set B, BX or OSE. Now they could even go with like the free, art-free version of OSE that's, you know, there are plenty of ver version of these rules that are out there for free they could use to put this on top of. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but but you weren't trying to make a full game out of this. This this does expect you to have a base game to, to overlay this on top of or to use this. Yeah, play. I think you could, um, ignoring the fact that there are no monsters in, in this, mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe you could probably throw a game together just with the zine. But yeah, my base expectation was that anyone who was going to back this was already playing RPGs and familiar with mm -hmm. uh, all the tropes of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's a fair trope, and, and, and it wasn't sold as anything else. No. no, no. I, I, yeah, definitely not. And, and to be fair to you also, you mentioned monsters, but you do have a monster section, and you do yeah, talk about adapting yeah. monsters and, and little tricks and different things people can do with monsters to make them unique, which is you know, a pretty good section, really. You have some good advice huh. in there. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, i got to pause for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> so, so I want to talk, and, and I'm assuming people have Glaive. I, I don't want to really want to, get, like, like Scott said, it's it is pretty complete all told. I mean, there's character creation in here. There's, you know, random. If and, and he talks about his influences in here, things like Nave and, you know, and, and actually, if you look at like Nave or Maze Rats or those kind of creation, he's got those kind of creation tables in here, or, or you have. I guess yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of them are actually right out of me because Ben mm -hmm. uh, has that on a what is a Creative Commons attribution license. You right. can reuse them for commercial purposes. Yeah, as long as mm -hmm. you give credit. Uh, I always forget exactly what the title of that one is, but uh, yeah, that also reminds me. I need to mail him a physical copy of this. He's already got a PDF, but uh, yeah, right. Uh, you, you've expanded on those because you have more in here than he has in those games. You have some oh some actual yeah. Ones. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely built out upon a lot of it and reworked the spell list, uh, maybe about 30, 40% of it, I guess. Um, just kind of tweaking, but I definitely use Nave as a, as a guide for creating something, a small kind of toolkit. Because mm -hmm. Nave's another one of those games where like, I don't think, if I wasn't already familiar with the tropes uh, and the genre conventions, I don't think you could just pick up Nave and play, unless your game master was uh, familiar with them, I guess, but... I guess that's how I'd put Glaive too. Like if the person running the game is familiar with all those tropes, you probably are good to go. But uh, if you were to just pick it up and try and figure it out, it might be a little, little difficult, but. I, I think that's right. And, and to be honest, I think that's right. So I see this in the same categories like Black Hack. And, and I think that's also the case with the Black Hack. You could pick up the Black Hack and run it. In theory, it's, you know, it's a complete game, but I really think it, it expects you to know the genre. And, yes, and tropes yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. 
Yeah, so so I kind of see this. And actually, I, there are things in yours I, I like better than Black Hack, to be honest. You and, oh. and and Glaive is, I think it's easier to adapt. Like if you go pick up an old module, it's right. easier to adapt it to Glaive than it is to, to the Black Yeah, I, I actually find myself going back and forth between the 1E Monster Manual and the 5th Edition Monster Manual and having no problem going either way with them, which is kind of like what I was aiming for. I wanted a... a uh, middle ground with uh with that stuff obviously i've got to you've got to depower a lot of the wizards of the coast stuff but uh but yeah one thing i noticed in here and and the other thing you offer is a good you know you talk about adapting spells from other games but you do provide 100 spells yeah which oh yeah <laughs> you know which you know you could go with just those are the last 100 spells in the world right <laughs> yeah, you could definitely run that way. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah, in but fact, there's a great document out there on the internet that is all the, uh, well, it's all most of the Dying Earth spells converted to uh, D&D. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think one interesting design choice, what you've done, though, is you don't have offensive or healing spells. All your spells are other things. You, you want to talk about kind of why you decided that? Sure, sure. Um, and I'm trying to think. I know that's, this is, I'm hardly unique in this. I've played other games similar to this but 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 my thinking was was just it would allow magic users or uh, well so there's no classes in glaive but you can kind of thematically build the character you want uh so if you've built a kind of a cleric or a paladin type or a magic user type um it allows you to stock up on the interesting utility spells and then you can convert them on the fly either into an arcane blast you know the equivalent of a magic missile uh or uh, divine healing and uh, that was one of the little rules tweak I think it said uh, the original in the zine is uh, if you convert a spell into let's say the, the the arcane blast it will do level d6 so if you are a third level caster that's 3d6 worth of damage to whatever you're doing which was fine when we were at level one and level two which is right around the time that we were printing this up and now my characters are at level four and level five and it's like well, that's that's a lot of d6s flying around for a, uh, a basic uh uh, basic D and D inspired uh, or level of power level of game. So uh, yeah, so the the update was just simply to say you know divide your level in half and round up and roll that many dice. So still pretty okay though. You're still hitting pretty hard. Well, and and the other good thing about this, like you say, because it's classless kind of. I mean, you can build you know characters into you know where they their strength is spellcasting or this or that. But everybody has D eight hit points and mm -hmm. everybody can swing a sword and all that. You know, you're you're your characters aren't stuck in being just, you know, do their magic missile and then that's all they can do that day except carry a torch or right, you know, right. proclaiming oil or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I can't say, I don't want to say I'm not a fan of classes. I have become a fan of classes. I, I like the way that they are interdependent. And if you can get the perfect three or four person group together, I do like that everyone has a specialty. Um, but I think most of the games I've played in the past were always everyone's kind of a jack of all trades. And as a group, you sort of say, all right, well, I'm going to focus in this area and I'll focus in mm -hmm. that area. But you can kind of double dip and, and stuff and get some redundancy. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, so everyone's essentially, like you said, there's the D8 hit, hit die adventurer. And, yeah. Yeah, which I think works out, you know, really well. So, yeah. Yeah, if, if you're going to be a, a spellcaster, you have, you know, in and you have talents where they can well actually that brings us to the other thing we talk about the mm -hmm. the kit version the kit here you have ancestries in here which you know are your 
back in the day, you'd call them races, you know, right. half orcs or elf, elves or halflings, whatever. But the, the way it's, your system's built with talents and whatnot, you're not stuck with these ancestries. You could build anything you want easy enough. They're almost just examples of how to do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because um, when I was first, when we first started playing, we were, we were very old school and it was a very human centric, uh, Gygaxian, you know, low fantasy mm -hmm. world. Um, and then I just kind of tuned into the fact that maybe some of my players were uh, interested in something a little more whimsical and a little. So our, when, our game, our, when our game literally changed worlds, a couple of them transformed into new species, and I had to kind of work out how to do that on the fly. But I've never liked the way that, um, that way D&D &D kind of locks you. It, it says it's a game where you can be anything, but if you want to be an elf, you probably better be a ranger or a thief, depending on the, or a wizard or a thief, depending on the kind of elf you want to be because of the mechanical bonuses you'll get out of that. So I tried to avoid pigeonholing anyone you know there's something that separates their their species from others but whatever bonus they're getting is essentially just something off of the list of talents and then mm -hmm. talents i guess the easiest way to conceptualize them is like edges or feats or little little convenient ways that the characters can break the rules in their own you know to their own favor um because i was finding when i started writing this we were playing bx um yeah, we were running BX and playing uh, through Tomb of the Serpent Kings and having a really good time with that. But I found myself getting, um, uh, this is like, I know heresy within the OSR, but I was getting bored with just how simple the combat was. Uh, it was always going to basically be the same thing over and over. Um, and I liked how uh, modern D&D had creatures with a lot of interesting and unique abilities or like your cow or the character, the, the, um, the class features that you get in a modern mm -hmm. version of D&D. And so I wanted to find, I liked the rules lightish aspect of BX, but I also liked having just a little bit of customization in there. So that was kind of the whole, what I was aiming for. Like what if fifth edition was as simple as BX, but you still could build an interesting character with some strange abilities that they could find creative ways to employ uh, in the game. Right, and, and the other thing, I, decision, design decision, I think is interesting is they're not locked into those traits. Now, if yeah. it's an ancestry trait, so if you're playing, I'm gonna play an elf who has thrice divided intellect, well, you're stuck with that, right? But right. aside yeah. from that, with your traits, you, when you go up in level, you can trade them out for different things. You can, yes. Uh, so you're getting, you're starting off, well, if you're just playing a humans only game, you're starting off with two talents and then getting one talent per level up to a maximum of five talents. So fourth level, you sort of cap out on talents. Mm -hmm. But at that point, you can then decide to swap one out for a new one if you wish. What you're also getting every level, and this is coming from the Glaive Roots, uh, one of your ability bonuses goes up by one every single level. Uh, because there's no, there's no um, uh, it's a direct relationship. There's no derived bonus from an ability score. It's just whatever the number that plus whatever that is what you are adding when you roll. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't you don't have a twelve strength. You just have a plus two strength. Um, and so one of your abilities goes up every level. And then once you have your maximum talents, then two abilities will go up up to a maximum of ten. I think I'm hoping I never get to ten because I think plus ten in anything would just make the game extremely boring. But um, I didn't really know, I didn't have a good idea for how to cap that out. And I kind of decided that was a problem for a later day. 
Um, right. But yeah, so you can you can forego that second uh, ability bump past level four to swap out an existing trait for a uh, talent for a new one if you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Definitely. That's. And, and and that's the the other thing that you've you've swapped out here is you've um instead of doing like traditional saving throws like the TSR style throws. Yeah. You're just using ability saving throw. You know the ability scores for the saving throws. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really. I part of my another one of my goals with Glaive was introducing these kind of RPGs to new people, and I always feel like I'm banging my head against the wall when I talk to real D and D enthusiasts about this because they don't see where the difficulty or, or role playing game fans in general they don't see the barriers involved in getting into them, because I think a lot of us we don't think about how long we've been reading these books. We don't think about how much of it we've just internalized. So if I start talking about hit points in game X, you already know what that means from game ABC that you played when you were a kid. But someone just coming in, like my current group, my Glaive group, all of them, except for my wife who played years and years ago and she can't remember rules to save her life anyway, um, she insists she played Dungeons and Dragons with uh, percentile dice and not D20s. And I don't know what version of D&D that was, but... <laughs> She's playing um, Rollmaster. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, they were all brand new. And so we played 5th edition for a little while and I found I was doing an incredible amount of work because they couldn't keep any of it straight. They could keep the basic mechanics straight, but anything beyond that... And we, you know, we were only able to get together every two, three weeks. So you didn't you didn't have that constant reinforcement going on. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to kind of strip everything down to the most basic, um, to its most basic level that I still found satisfying. That would be very easy to just get across to, to new players. So yeah. So there's no special save. You just, I think Englave, <laughs> I have to look actually. <laughs> I think we wrote it up as a roll under your, uh, your ability so you just like nave you mm-hmm. take your bonus added to 10 so if you plus two strength that means if you're doing a strength save you got to roll a 12 or under mm-hmm. right um i have even found at my own table i've house ruled my house rules again my own table that gets a little confusing sometimes so i just do a quick thing in my head and give them like a, a target number just okay roll your strength and beat a 14 whatever mm-hmm. um so you can go either way i guess uh, I've been okay. playing around with it. Yeah, I've been playing around with getting good at flipping the math on that stuff on the fly. I'm hoping to get it so that I can stop rolling for monsters to hit my uh, hit the players, and I can just tell them what to roll to not get hit. Uh, still working out the math on that though. <laughs> right. Yeah. Doing the all the player saving roll facing rolls. That's yeah. There are some DMs don't like that, but I'm a fa- I'm in favor of that. If the less I, dice I, like, I roll, the happier I am. Yeah, it keeps them it keeps them more engaged. I've got a group of six, and uh, we're not. They're not great at reaching consensus quickly, so it's easy for attentions to, to, to wander. So the more I can keep them focused at the table and them doing the dice rolling, uh, the better. Right. I, I, I guess one other quick design question, and, 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 I, and it's, I think it's probably because it's going to, you didn't, probably didn't have a choice. I don't know. I, I've listened to your, your session recaps and all, but you do include alignment in here. And, you know, some systems drop it, some don't, but, but is that just... Be, do you really use that at your table, or is that something that kind of is it's there because it's throughout all those old modules? Is it? I like it. We mm-hmm. don't use it in my person in this particular game that I'm running now. Um, we did a little bit up front, and um, 
just the players just weren't into it. Um, we had some fun with it with like alignment languages and such. Mm -hmm. uh, for for when we first started out, I think only one other character could under the dwarf couldn't speak common. They could only speak their alignment language, and there was only one other lawful character in the group, so they would have to translate. So we had a lot of fun with that for a while until that one who can translate can't show up for a game. You're like, oh no, <laughs> what, do, what do we do this session? How's this work? Uh, so we sort of we sort of moved away from it, but I had some yeah some articles and uh, items and magic uh, stuff that uh, that were alignment specific. But um, the new world that we're playing in is kind of a, a, a safer, slightly friendlier COVID world uh, since they have enough stress in their lives, uh, just getting by day to day. Uh, we've gone definitely from a, a, a grim and gritty setting that I am more into myself to more of a. Uh, uh, kind of a retro. It's, I, I keep describing it as like a the, the first version of a Legend of Zelda kind of mm -hmm. fantasy world. So it's still dangerous, but there are definitely safe zones, and it's not too hard to. Um, I'm not going out of my way to uh, kill them as I was, you know, nine months ago. <laughs> nine months ago, they were dirt. They, they were in game dirt poor and struggling every week. And there's a couple of delves into the dungeon just to pay their rent, and it was fun and funny because it was kind of like life the rpg uh but then once uh once the pandemic hit it was like uh that's it's too close to home <laughs> so we've lightened things up tone wise so we're not currently playing with the alignments right. one way or the other yeah well well that brings br brings me to another point i wanted to talk to you about so i'm glad you mentioned that the tone so glaive is definitely written and, and i've listened to you know your podcast i think are near the beginning and, and I recommend, I'll have links in the show notes, and I recommend anybody that hasn't listened to your podcast, go check it out. But you do a lot of session recaps over there. So yeah. while I haven't played in your game. I, I, I think I have a little bit of a feel, you know, about, you know, kind of how you play and, and, the, sure. and the feel for it. And I think that's important because Glaive is, you know, written around those kind of assumptions to, to a large degree. You know, that's a little bit mm -hmm. of a gonzo world and, you, you know, kind of the world where players can try anything. You know, they, you know, they're not restrained by you know you know real life right worries much if they want to try something crazy you encourage that kind of thing and, yes um, definitely yeah so I, I i wondered so one thing we don't have there's a little bit in here with like the monsters and all but there's not a ton of gm advice in this right because yeah. this is a document you kind of wrote for yourself and for your players. yeah That's exactly. something you've considered at some point or maybe doing like a like a gm advice book or something like that or where yeah, you think it's no, just not really needed there's so much better there's already good advice out there like i can't imagine what i would add to any of it uh, i mm -hmm. you know my 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 gm advice is go watch matt coville's early videos on uh, you know <laughs> running the game and uh, which is actually what got me to run my first D&D game a couple of years ago um you know or go read any uh, um oh i'm the worst with names uh stars without numbers and mm -hmm. yeah um, eh, now i'm Brain fart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 um, right there. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, you you mentioned where you talk about Kickstarters. His Kickstarters actually, if they're not on time, they're darn. I think all those mm -hmm. pretty much deliver. Yeah. He's one of the few that aren't. Everybody's yelling at the screen right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or the screen. They're yelling at their you know right their, their their phone or wherever they're listening. <laughs> it's going to come to us as soon as we uh, as soon as we hang up the Zoom call. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but, Oh, yeah. it's driving me nuts. <laughs> it's Kevin Crawford. Uh, Thank you. Yes, there yeah. we go. 
uh, you know, if you want to like advice on how to set up a sandbox, pretty much pick up any of his books and they've all got, uh, I think, you know, Red Tide, uh, Red Ties, Dark mm-hmm. Numbers, God, Godbound, is that a... Um, yeah, well, Godbound was, no, God, wasn't Godbound the, that's a one roll engines, like World War II superhero, isn't it? Um, he uh, did, let me see. This ex- exciting radio as I type in the computer. Yes, <laughs> listen to the <laughs> listen to us Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, but no, I mean the point. Any is, Kevin Crawford game, definitely check out. There. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just there's already just so much good advice out there that I I don't know what I could possibly add to it uh, without paraphrasing and possibly uh, plagiarizing anybody. Right. Oh no, point. you're right. God, yeah, no, you're right. Godbound is one of his. I, yeah. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Game, game of Divine Heroes. That, that is, yes. Yeah. Huh, I, I don't have that one. I'll have to buy that. I've, I've got most of his games, but I don't have I mean, that one. What I like about a lot of Kevin's, the, the, the big fancy games, like most of them, 70, 80% of the books are available for free on drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you just want the extra parts, you pay for the, the entire book. But yeah. Right. Which I think is uh, it's a it's a really that's really smart. Um, I mean, as someone who does web comics as a living, I'm familiar with the idea of just giving it away for free and then getting fiscal support on the back end, and it's mm-hmm. a viable model. So yeah, works for us. Yeah, well, and they've started doing that with, um, yeah. Now I'm the, <laughs> and now I'm doing it. It's a problem with getting old, folks. But yep. um, <laughs> web. Comic that Giant in the Playground does. Um, oh yeah, uh, Order of the Stick is it? Yeah, Order of the Stick. They, they've they're doing a Patreon now to, you know, to, to fund the, you know keeping their forum up to date and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which you've been able to buy the books for years, you know, the collected versions of Order of the Stick for years. But yeah, yeah. there's always we we found because we we do Patreon also and um, yeah, there's always people who just that's a great thing about despite all the problems that we've created for ourselves with the internet and social media, it, it does have its bright spots. And one of those is that it allows small time creators to f- find and connect directly with their audiences. And in some cases, if you're lucky, there is enough of an audience that wants to support what you're doing. Um, and, you know, and pa- Patreon, I love, cause it's like, it takes the idea of, you know, this, this, this uh, Merovingian Renaissance Italian uh, uh, patron of the arts, and it spreads it out from one rich guy to a hundred folks who are just mm-hmm. giving you a buck or two. You know, they're giving up a cup of coffee at Starbucks uh, just to say, hey, I, I, just to support what you're doing. And uh, yeah. Definitely. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, a big fan of it. Yeah. Which, which we had talked before the show, but I kind of want to, not to intrude on your episode, but, but I guess we should... I, I should plug one other person that you, you have. A, there's a Easter egg I found in Glaive for the ah, yes. Joel. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, James, uh, Monster Man. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, I had to. Uh, I, I support that Patreon, and uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, I do too. Yep. For a long time, I resisted listening to Monster Man because it just sounded so goofy to me. Uh, I was like, well, I don't have any interest in this. I'm I'm reading all this grim. I've just discovered the OSR. I'm reading all this grim, dark, uh, fantasy stuff. And uh, yeah, and now I I look forward so much to those episodes coming out. They're so good. Um, I ended up sending him a tweet about that at some point, saying how that I had to eat uh, a plate of a uh, giant co- a crow, comma giant. Uh, now that I <laughs> now mm-hmm. that I discovered the podcast and learned how great it really was, yeah. 
It, it really is. We're and, and if anybody hadn't quite picked up, we're talking about the Monster Man podcast, James Holloway. I'll, again, I'll have a link in there. But yeah, it's a great podcast. His you know, I, I back him at the five dollar level, and yeah, his um, patron deities, where he goes through deities and demigods, is great too. Mm-hmm. What, what's great about James and I, I was lucky enough to play in one of his games too. So he's oh, he's also a you know pretty awesome GM. But so he's coming at this. He never played like I don't think he ever played first edition. All so when he was looking at it, he's looking at it from the eyes of somebody you know didn't play that that game you know first edition back in the day. Yeah, but but it's really. It's a really great program. He does a great yeah. job. And he keeps the episodes the right length. You, you know, they're just short. Like the normal episodes like 10 minutes at the most. And Yes. Yep. You know, it's really digestible. So, Yeah, the only problem is it's, it's too easy to just tear through his back catalog quickly. Yes. And, then, and then find yourself with no more Monster Man to listen to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that, that is true. But, but he's on a pretty good schedule. He puts them out pretty, pretty yeah. regularly. So, Yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Is there anything about Glaive that, that you want to mention, or that? Oh, um, or anything else you want to mention that we have? Take a quick look here. Um, I guess maybe talk about the uh, the abilities, the the array we use here, real quick. Sure. Yeah, because I, I got yeah. while when I was originally working out these house rules, talking with people on the OSR Discord, uh, that was an area of pushback because I've, I'm someone who has rolled up and killed you know, probably hundreds of characters at this point in my life, I am perfectly fine rolling up a garbage character and, and making the best of it. Mm-hmm. But, but for, I, I was, again, thinking of my new players, thinking, well, they don't want to do that yet. They haven't reached a point yet where they're looking to explore uh, that kind of thing. So um, when originally we played uh, a bit of Nave in, I'm trying to, now I'm trying to remember how you generate your, uh, uh, your stats in Nave. You roll 4d6 and take the highest one that's your bonus i don't remember now I, i'd have to look or is there an, just uh, an array you pick right i i confuse uh, that in maze rat sometimes um, uh so, so in yeah. in navy you did you do roll for it and then you roll every level to see if uh i think the same in a way similar to black hack if mm-hmm. you roll under the ability it will go up another pip um or and actually i think navy you actually raise two every single you add plus one to two ability scores every time you level but because you are starting with a bonus from a D6, you could be a first level character that has plus six strength, plus six dexterity. You know, it, it's not likely, but you could. And we, I did run into that with our game. So it was really throwing things out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was hard to, it was hard to make something that was challenging for that player that wouldn't just smear the others. Um, so I decided to go with just a standard array. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of took I kind of took my my cue from uh, a story game, uh, Fate Accelerated, that I mm-hmm. played a lot of for a long time. Which I always thought, with a little tweaking, would make a really nice light D and D kind of game. Um, there's no skills in it. It's just you have uh, they don't call them abilities, they call them approaches, and it's slightly different. So like a strength, your strength ability in D and D tells you how strong you are. Your forceful approach in fate accelerated tells you how you go about things so it's not what you can do it's how you do things uh mm-hmm. so you have i'm trying to remember those like careful clever sneaky flashy forceful and i'm missing one because that's only five but there's your standard there's equivalency of your six standard uh and you just have a, a simple array where one of those is at a plus three two of them are at plus two two are at plus one and then one of them starts off at plus zero um and you just you just add that bonus to your roll 
if you're if you can justify using that approach in the fake game, mm -hmm. which of course you're always you're always working to justify using your best approach, uh, which is a complaint a lot of people have, but I think that's from people who've never actually played it. I don't know. You know, the difference between a plus two and a plus three is it's exactly one. It's not that big a deal, really. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And it does lead to some interesting uh, narration on the characters' parts that they bend themselves in the pretzels uh, into into knots, trying to trying to justify that. So I I always just like that. It's also similar to the array you get if you build a character using fifth editions uh, stuff. And, I, and once you factor in, I forget where it was. Uh, Professor Dungeon Master. I don't know if you've ever seen his mm -hmm. YouTube channel. Yep. Um, he had done some math some back of the napkin math and and i think the average fifth edition starting character has a cumulative plus seven to plus nine of all and all their their uh, ability bonuses and, uh, yeah, i i like the the arrays i like the bonus arrays out of fifth ed a bit more than i do bx um so i this was similar and it kind of just it hit all the right it made you good at something out the gate but not amazing at something out the gate um and if you just focused on that one thing as you level, you would stagnate in, in every single other area. So I've been watching my players. Some of them are doing like an even spread as they level up. Uh, one or two of them are hyper-focusing. Uh, one of the magic users has decided they want to be a muscle wizard. And so they've been getting a little bit better and a little bit better at fighting with uh, swords and blades uh, as they go. Um, and then Zach, uh, thank goodness, uh, worked out a way, a way to randomly roll to get those same, to get that array. Um, so yeah, so some people didn't like that too much, but, uh, some people, one or two people on the OSR. And of course, that's all I can remember is the one or two people who told me that was a dumb way to do it. <laughs> right. Well, but you think about it in a lot of these games now, the stat or in a lot of the games and, and in the OSR, especially, you mm -hmm. know, after you roll your initial stats, that stat bonus is really all that's used. And when yeah. you look at something like like ICRPG, which is, you know, his, which is Hank's 5e hack, mm -hmm. he's going to just use the bonus as well, you know, effectively. I, I don't really understand why the ability scores are still a thing other than if people, if they removed it from the game, I think there'd be a portion of the fan base who would say that's not Dungeons and Dragons anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like an appendix, you know, you don't, but you, you don't really need it, but I guess leave it alone if it's not giving you trouble. Right. Um, but but that brings up one interesting design decision you made when we talk about tributes. So carrying capacity in your game is constitution, which means yeah. actually your mage, your 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 magic heavy characters, while you know the your strength wizard, like you're talking about, it's important to be able to fight. If they want to be able to cast a lot of spells, they need to have high constitution. Oh yeah, yeah, we didn't talk about that. So no. glaive is uh, glaive is uh, slot based inventory straight out of Nave, if you're familiar with Nave. So yeah, and your constitution bonus uh, determines how many slots you've got. Um, so yeah, you're limited in what you can carry, and every spell is its own book. Again, that's right out of Nave, which I just really like the idea mm -hmm. of that. Um, so yeah, if you want to carry, uh, there's no spell slots. There's no limit to the number of spells you can have, except how much you can fit in your backpack. Uh, one of my magic users, uh, she really struggles with this because uh, she's a pack rat. Uh, you know, every group has that one player who picks up everything that they find in the hopes that it might be useful. And, and she's a halfling. So uh, mm -hmm. she's grandfathered in because originally there was no penalty to your inventory slots for being for doing a halfling ancestry, uh, which there are now in the zine, but, uh, mm -hmm. but she got in under the wire on that. Um, I think I made her day a session or two ago when she got a... Uh, 
a bag of holding, which gave her, I think, uh, five or eight extra slots. So, <laughs> yeah. And I, I like the decisions that that forces. You can only have so much stuff with you. And everyone mm -hmm. always, who's doing it for the first time, everyone gripes about it. Everyone complains. And then they were all in the random uh, equipment charts, which are more or less what you see in Nave. I know I tweaked them a little bit. Um, and they're like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do with a shovel? What am I going to do with these, this sponge? And then you find weird and interesting ways to use that, that, that random stuff. So I'm a big fan of random equipment tables and, uh, uh, and limiting the amount of stuff that you can lug with you. Although, even though I like the random tables, I, we did also include uh, like starting equipment packs for people who wanted to, to go that route, little pre-built mm -hmm. packs. Um, right. But yeah, I think, I think that kind of, I like that kind of gaming. It's a little more... Right now, my, I'm playing in a fifth edition game, and I'm carrying like five tons worth of stuff between my bag of holding and my pretty good strength and constitution. And it's just, it doesn't, it feels weird. Like there's no, I'll just take everything because I can take everything. And then, it, then I don't feel like a smarty when I happen to have the right thing with me. It's just, well, of course I have it with me. I have everything I own with me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And, and actually, I guess we, we, we should mention you talk about fate. If people go into your back catalog, they'll, They'll find out when you tried to introduce Fate as an intro role-playing game to folks why that kind of fell apart. Yeah. Do they, yeah. Yeah. We, we don't necessarily have to cover here, like I say. Hopefully they'll go back and listen to your show for that. Um, <laughs> but Fate Center, in fact, there's an Atomic Robo Fate game. There is. There is an Atomic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, which is a pretty darn good version of Fate, actually. It, it, I thought so, yeah. I mean, I didn't yeah, I didn't write any of it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Mike Olson did a really great job with that. He did, um, uh, I was about, Bulldogs is the word that keeps coming out of my mouth, uh -huh. but that is not the name of the game. That was, that was the sci-fi fake game. Uh, so that was like fake Star Wars. Um, right. I'm going to forget it right now. But uh, yeah, he did a great job with Robo, and he did a great job of going through the back catalog and finding examples in the comics to clearly explain the rules that a lot of people struggle with. So yeah, I've mm -hmm. heard from folks that like when they're trying to explain the conceits of a game like Fate, that the Robo version is is really good for that because it, it, it takes away the abstraction and gives you a concrete example of a character doing just that right. thing. Um, you can also yeah. run a really sweet Ghostbusters game with the Atomic Robo version. <laughs> If you don't have that, what, 1987 D6 West End Games version. Right. Yep. <laughs> but we, which is still a great game. I mean, obviously, you have to find a used copy somewhere, but it's... Yeah, I never found a copy ever. As a kid, as a kid I knew it existed and could never find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate your coming on the show. And I, yeah, I appreciate you talking me. to me. Like, so I'll, link, I'll have links to all your stuff in the, in the show notes, and I hope people awesome. go check your show out. Um, there you go. Camp it with yeah. Alders. Come on over. Leave me some messages. Yep. Uh, I've been yeah, definitely a little, a little stalled lately. So, yeah, any messages that can prompt uh, episodes out of me, that would be great. <laughs> there we go, folks. So call in this guy. Give him some, give him some fodder. So, <laughs> yeah, th thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I'll look forward to talking again soon. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Joking about your spouse, but the operator screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? 
box, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman, and your moil is quite a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. Well, the zombies are rising and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train.